0: are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. How many of you read uh, a guy whose name is Philip Yancey? Just raise your hand. Several of you have. Yancey says that the world is asking this question, what is God like? So I remember when I was young asking that question, wondering if I had any potential of comprehending actually what God was like. He said, since Jesus was only with us for a little while, and the Bible tells us that Jesus is the exact representation of God's being. Since he was only with us for a little while, the world is now answering that question as to what is God like by watching our lives. Your life, my life. The world is asking what is God like And the way they're answering the question is by watching your life and watching my life. He says, because after all, the apostle Paul reminds us that we, meaning you and me, we are the body of Christ. So we are the hands and we are the feet of Jesus. So I want us to swim in that pool for just a few minutes together, okay? So let's think about it like this. Jesus comes and he walks this earth, and one day one of his disciples asks him, Jesus, just show us the Father. That's all we want. We just want to know what God is like. And you might remember that Jesus responds this way. He said, Philip, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. In other words, Philip, Jesus says of himself, this is what God is like. The Hebrew writer says that Jesus is the exact representation of God's being. So if you wanna know about God, you look at Jesus. And then Jesus says to you and I, follow me. In fact, in this very chapter, Simon Peter says, you and I should follow in the steps of Jesus. Jesus becomes our standard. He becomes the example. We become like Jesus. And so we have known for years That the work of the Holy Spirit in my life and in your life is to reproduce the character of Christ. So we read the Bible that says, be holy like God is holy. And you and I kind of grab our hearts and say, how how can we be holy? And then we get this more clear picture of God by looking at Jesus. We realize that holiness is Christ-likeness. Holiness is nothing more, nothing less than us becoming like Jesus. And so let's go back to Yancey. Yancey said, people are asking, what's God like? And since Jesus, who was like God, was only here for a little while, now they're answering the question by looking at our lives. So here's what I think is happening. There's conversations happening in all of our heads right now. And I think there's some of us saying, wait, don't, don't do that to me. Don't put that kind of pressure on me. I, I don't want people determining what you know, God is like, or Jesus for that matter is like by looking at my life. That's too much pressure. However, on the other end of the spectrum, I don't think there's many people who are saying, you want to know what God's like? Hang out with me for a day. You'll get a really good picture of what God's like, okay? Or you want to know what Jesus is like? Just hang around me. You'll get to see what he's like. I don't think we're on that conversation either. But there is this deep, deep, deep need for us to understand that people are watching our lives as we call ourselves Christian. And what it means to say that I'm a Christian to say that I'm a follower of Jesus. I try to pattern my life after him. And here's where Simon Peter takes us today. Since people form their view of Christianity by watching our lives, your life, my life, there is a specific way that we are called to live in the scripture. Since people form their view of Christianity, their view of Jesus, their view sometimes of God by watching our lives, there is a very specific way of life that you and I are called to live in the scripture. And that's what we're going to talk about for a little while this morning. Okay. So grab your Bible and open it with me to first Peter chapter two, verse 11, first Peter chapter two, verse 11. And we will work our way through this passage. So, Peter begins by saying, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles. You remember now he's using these words metaphorically. These people haven't actually been forced out of their homes or away from their land. He is using this metaphorically to say that you're living as Christians in a world that doesn't value everything that you value. You live counterculturally many times. You find yourself kind of swimming against the current. You're swimming upstream. You live different than the people in the world around you live, And that's the way you should feel as a Christian. Like, this world is not quite my home. I, I don't always tend to fit in my society. I tend to stand out. I tend to be different than everybody else around me. That's what you should feel like as a Christian. And so he says, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, people living counterculturally in your society, number one, to abstain from sinful desires. It's a word we're not crazy about. It's in the Bible many times. Here it is again, the word sin. I encourage you, how do you function in this world living a little differently, being Christians in an unchristian society? Well, start by abstaining from sinful desires. They wage war against your soul. In fact, live such good lives among the pagans, the people who don't believe in Jesus, that though they may accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. What's that life look like? Well, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority whether to the emperor or maybe in our case to the, to the government as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right, for it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Just live your life in such a way. Be a good citizen. Do what's right. Avoid sinful things that people would just kind of be put to shame as they talk negatively about you. And live as free people. But not to use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. This is the last slide. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. And honor the emperor. So I think we ought to spend a little time just breaking that down together today, okay? You, you, you are too young, some of you to remember, but I remember really well commercials from the 80s. And um, it was in the 80s that we had our first little girl and it's probably why this commercial stands out to me, but it was a Michelin tire commercial. And, and it would always have the image of a tire in the commercial and it would always have the image of a baby in the commercial. And and the tagline, the slogan was this, Michelin, because so much is riding on your tires. Clever, huh? And so as a dad with a little girl, my first little girl, uh, that commercial and that slogan resonated with me. Michelin, because there's so much riding on your tires. There's a lot riding on this. Let me think about that idea from a Christian perspective. Years and years ago, a preacher moved into a small town to pastor a church. And one day, about a block from his church, he boards a bus, a city bus, to go down the street. He hands the bus driver his money, and the bus driver gives him back his change. When he sits down, he realizes that the bus driver has given him incorrect change. In fact, the bus driver gave him $2 too much. Now, this is years ago, and $2 meant a lot. And as he counts his money before putting it away and realizing his, that the bus driver giving him too much money, he decides I should give the money back to the guy. He probably has to balance at the end of the day. It's not my money. It's his. He's giving me the incorrect change. But he also begins to think and he says, ashamedly, I admit it. I contemplated keeping the money because $2 meant a lot and we were broke. And I wrestled with it for a few minutes and finally thought, I have to give it back, don't I? Yes, I have to give it back. This would be wrong. This would be taking money that doesn't belong to me. I can't keep the money as bad as I need the money. I should give it back. And so when the bus stops at his stop, he gets up and walks to the front of the bus. And he says to the bus driver, reaching the $2 toward him, here, you made a mistake. You gave me $2 too much. This isn't my money. And the bus driver says, I did not make a mistake. And he looks at him in surprise and he says, I heard you're the new preacher in town. I don't go to church. But I should go to church and I want to go to church. And I'm going to start going to church somewhere. And I thought I would see what kind of a person you were. So I'll see you Sunday in church. And the pastor says, I got off the bus. Story written years ago. And I stood there by this Street pole, light pole, weak in my knees, realizing what was at stake with my decision. I I remember one Sunday morning preaching at the end of the service. A younger man who attended our church with a wife and kids was kneeling at the altar. And when everybody else was getting up from the altar, he was motioning for me. Could I come over? And while I'm kneeling down to talk to him, he says to me, Pastor Rick, you're you're talking about inviting people to church. You talked about inviting people at work to church. He said, do you have any idea what would happen if I invited people from my work to church? Number one, they would laugh out loud because they would be surprised that I even go to church. And number two, they would probably think to themselves, why would we want to be like him? He's just like us. There's no difference. He said, because of the way that I live my life in front of the people at my work, I don't have any witness. Simon Peter talks about there's this life that we as Christians live. And the reason we live this life that we're called to is because there is so much at stake. Let me just give you a list, okay? Number one, in the passage I just read to you, he said, the care of your soul is at stake. I mean, think about this for a minute with me. Would you just look up here for a minute and just think with me for a minute? I've never, ever, ever had anybody come to me, make an appointment. I need to talk to you, Pastor Rick. And here was the conversation. A couple of months ago, I gave in to sinful desires and it's gone really well. In fact, I'm probably going to give in to some more sinful desires this week because it's been so great. Every time somebody comes to talk to me about giving in to sinful desires, they're there to say to me, can you help me out of this situation that I've created? Inwardly, I'm just a mess. God seems far away. I've hurt people that I love. I'm now dealing with the consequences of my sin. And Simon Peter says, when we give in to those sinful desires, when we don't live this life, it just wages war within us. Number two, our Christian witness is at stake. That young man who knelt at the altar who said, I don't have a Christian witness. They would laugh if I told them I was a Christian because of the way I live my life in front of them. That's what's on the line In other words, there's a whole lot riding on this. And the third thing Simon Peter reminds us of is it's just simply that the reputation of Christianity is at stake. Live your life in such a way that when God appears to visit us, people will say, wow, the Christians were right, weren't they? There really was a better way to live life. And what he is trying to say is the way that you live your life every day in front of the people around you Do you have any idea how much is riding on this? How much is at stake? It's the care of your own soul, your Christian witness, and the reputation of the gospel itself. So last night, Annette and I were making our way back home from a little family trip to be with... um, Our granddaughter, Sadie, who celebrated her sixth birthday, and we were almost back to Oklahoma City, and I got a call. And the call was about one of the dearest, sweetest little saints in our church named Mary Frances Gasset. She had just passed away. Earlier this week, Bea Winger had just passed away. It feels like to me that over these last four months, as we've been going through this COVID thing, we've just lost so many of our precious saints. And so I walked into their home before the funeral um, home had arrived to take her body away. And I got to stand with her family around her and we prayed. And, And here's what I got to pray. Lord, as I think about my sermon tomorrow, I'm just so thankful that as we watched Mary Frances live her life, we got to see Jesus in her. So see, that's, that's where this conversation is. So you may be saying, well, we need a little help here. We do understand there's a lot riding on this. People are watching, right? Right? Our own soul is at stake. So what is this life and how do you live it? And what is Simon Peter doing to help us along this journey? So let me start here. Jesus, Jesus one day was asked a question. Hey, Jesus, out of all the commandments, which is like the greatest? So in other words, if you organized all the commandments in order of priority, which one would be most important? If you ranked all of the commandments, all the things that God said you should do or shouldn't do, which one would you put at the very top? In other words, of everything that God has spoken to us and said, what's the most important thing that God has said to us? What matters more than everything else matters? And Jesus actually answered him. He gave him a number one. Here's what he says. He says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all of your mind. And then Jesus says, The second commandment is like it love your neighbor as yourself. All the law, all the prophets, everything written in the Old Testament that we call scripture hangs on these two commandments. In fact, Jesus said, everything in the scripture is summed up in these two commandments. It's all about love. Love God. Love your neighbor. So you may say, I'm kind of new to being a Christian. I don't always know what the right thing to do is, the wrong thing to do. Still trying to figure it out, trying to get a handle on it. Jesus made it pretty simple. In this moment, what does it mean to love God? And in this moment, what does it mean to love my neighbor? I mean, when you think about it, if you just leave here today and for the rest of your life, you just ask that question in every situation and you do what you believe in your heart God is leading you to do, you really are going to struggle to mess up. It's so simple in some ways. What's it mean to love God in this moment? With all of my heart, all my soul, all my mind, all my strength, what does it mean in this moment to love my neighbor? And there you go. Jesus said everything is summed up in these two commandments. Let let, let me tell you something else. Everything that Jesus taught was summed up in those two commandments. Let me tell you something else. Everything the New Testament writers write are summed up in those two commandments. Everything that we read in the book of 1 Peter as we study through it is summed up in those two commandments. In fact, everything that Peter gives us in this passage about living this life is summed up in those two commandments. So let's just start with number one. Love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Here's what he says. He says, avoid sinful desires. Just don't give in. Just abstain. It's not good for you. It's going to wage war on your soul. It's bad in your relationship with God. When you come to a moment of being tempted to sin, and if you ask yourself, what does it mean to love God in this moment? With all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind, with all of my strength, the answer is going to be to walk away from that sin. Don't commit it. It's really simple. God's faithful to me. I'm going to be faithful to God. You're always going to be tempted. I'm always going to be tempted. I'm no different than you. The enemy is never going to leave us alone. He's never going to back away. He's never going to stop. You're always going to be tempted. And in that moment, you ask yourself one simple question. What does it mean to love God with my whole heart, mind, soul, and strength in this very moment? You just can't go wrong. What else does he say? Fear God. Respect what God wants. Honor God's desire for your life. And when you find yourself making this decision, you just say, what does it mean in this moment to love God? You just can't go wrong. So, Jesus gives us principles. Simon Peter knows we're human and need a list, so he gives us a list. Live as God's slaves. Just just make your life all about just doing what God desires. And then he has this other category that he talks about. I read to you a moment ago. Love your neighbor by doing what? Show proper respect to everybody. We live in a world right now where if the Christian community alone would rise up, straighten our backs, lift our chins, and just simply show proper respect to everybody, we could change the world. It's contagious. Do you know what happens when I see people who are grateful? I want to be more grateful. When I see people who are loving, it makes me want to be more loving. When I see people who are joyful, it makes me want to be more joyful. Joyful. When I see people who show proper respect, it makes me want to show proper respect. And so he's talking about, this is how you live with the outsiders, the people who aren't a part of this community of faith. You just show respect to everybody, no matter what, whether you agree or disagree, like or dislike, whatever it is, if they're kind to you or not, just show respect to everybody. And then he says, when you think about the community of believers, those in the church, just love this family of believers. Just share with them, love on them, care for them, be there for them, live in unity with each other. And then he moves into this kind of almost awkward conversation for us. Honor the emperor, submit to authority. Even the governors, they kind of do the emperor's bidding. But, you know, government can be all messed up, right, Rick? I mean, don't we want a revolution? I think we need a revolution. And I think the church needs to start the revolution. And I think we ought to lead the revolution just like Jesus led the revolution. So here's what happens to me sometimes. I'll be over in like uh, Africa or down in South America or in Central America, Guatemala or somewhere. And I'm driving on an old country road, not even paved. And up on the hill, I see a church with a cross. Almost any city I go to in the world, I see on the corner this beautiful church. You understand Jesus is everywhere. A third of the world's population, over 2 billion people, claim to follow his teaching. This is still, every year, the number one seller of all books written. Do you understand what I'm saying? Jesus came and changed the world, folks. It will never be the same again. He established a kingdom that will not die. And he never picked up a sword. Do you know what he used? Love. You just go back to those commandments love God, love people. And with never picking up a sword, I love the line that I've been reading lately a lot on social media. People are posting it from someone who quoted it, but it said, Jesus didn't come to take sides, Jesus came to take over. He came to establish his own kingdom. And he does it in love. So you don't really need to overthrow the government. You just need to love like crazy. All right, so you're following me, right? So there's this way that we live as followers of Jesus Christ, and I've described it to you as well as I know how, by loving God and loving others. And the reason we do it is because there is so much riding on it, not only our own souls, but the reputation of the gospel and our own witness. So I I love golf, and I'm not going to tell you a a story where I'm going to lose you in a golf illustration, I promise. Okay, stay with me for a minute. But a couple of years ago, my friend Harold got some tickets to the Masters Golf Tournament in Augusta, Georgia. It's maybe the biggest golf tournament of the year as far as being watched. And he asked me what I like to go and two other guys. And we said, yeah, we'd love to go. And so we go down to Augusta, Georgia on practice day, Wednesday to the golf tournament. It was a great experience. I'd never been. It's beautiful. It's what everybody says it is. It's the best golfers in the world competing that week. And you get to see them all in person. It's pretty awesome. So we had walked all over the golf course and we were kind of in between groups. We were waiting for a group to come up and we're kind of just sitting down on the side of a hill there and there's a golfer coming down by himself it's practice day you can actually talk to them if they'll talk to you and he comes down and we're just sitting there and we don't really know who he is he's not a big name but he's been on tour for a few years and he doesn't win a ton he's won a couple of times his name is Kevin Strillman so as he walks by us he just kind of stops and says what's up guys the pro golfer's talking to us. I'm thinking, does he know who I am? Obviously, he may know. you know. We say, hey. And he goes, beautiful day. And we go, oh, it's an awesome day. How you doing? And he goes, I'm hitting it okay. And so he just, he's friendly. He's kind. Because he was so friendly and kind, we just got up and followed him. Honestly, but that's the only reason. He putts out, he talks about missing a putt. We kind of make a joke or two with him and then we follow him to the next tee box and it's a par three. He hits, hits it onto the green. Somebody in the crowd kind of standing around and said, I bet you could get there with a three iron. And he goes, who knows, I'll try. And so he takes one out of the bag, comes up a little short, says, maybe not. We all laugh. You know what I did when I got home over those next three days, four days? I watched to see how he was doing in the tournament. You know why I watched? Honestly, it's just one reason. He was just really nice to us. And so over the last couple of years, I'm always on my phone on the PGA app, and I'm scanning through to see what Strillman's playing and how he's doing. And did you know that two weeks ago he finished second at the Travelers? And then yesterday, when everything was said and done, moving into today, he was in fourth place. So I think the jury's out on whether or not God cares about who wins golf tournaments, but just in case, would you mind praying for Strillman today with me? I I know that you're usually ahead of me, and I realize that you already are this morning. I decided to Google his name at one point because I wondered, do you think he might be a Christian? And so I just put in the words, Kevin Stroman, Christian, and the first article that popped up was, Jesus means everything to me, Kevin Stroman. I loved it. And in the articles that I read with him being interviewed about his faith, he quoted so much scripture. You know where we're going, don't you? There was something very appealing about that man that day. And now I realize what it was. He was just being a Christian. The four old guys from Oklahoma sitting over there on the hillside, he stops to talk to us. I think he had read 1 Peter that said, show respect to everyone. He was familiar words of the words of Jesus, love your neighbors, you love yourself. And and here's the question, the all pressing question. (laughs) When people meet us, Are they attracted to the Jesus that lives in our hearts? Are they drawn to him? There's a a prayer that I want you to pray with me. It's the prayer of St. Patrick, and we won't pray all of the prayer, but we'll pray much of it. We'll read it at my pace. If you get ahead of me, I'm going to call you down. I want you to contemplate the words. Look at the first word. Just read the first two lines. Christ shield me today against wounding. Pray this every morning. Continue to pray with me now. Will you in unison? Christ with me. Christ before me. Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ in the heart of everyone who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me. Christ in the eye that sees me. Christ in the ear that hears me. May it be so. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.